All right, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy-rated TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of wrestling's biggest, uh, some, bleh, some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, <laughs> joined once again by Duncan Joyce from the Now Whatever podcast. How's things? Really, really, really good, Lee. Lee. Pleasure, Pleasure to be, be here, here again. again. Yeah, it's great. It feels like forever since I did this. Yeah, pretty crazy, actually. Um, I've been down in Sydney for a week and a half doing uh, the first parts of my A license from a football coaching. So that was pretty intense. And then a week and a half away from the wife and kids, obviously had things to catch up on coming back here. And my daughter's fifth birthday tomorrow, my eldest daughter. So a lot happening. Oh, lovely. Just in case any listeners didn't know, I was on Twitter myself and Carl actually... Got, got to meet up at a progress, progress show the other week. It's really, really cool. cool. That was very cool. I did see that. It was awesome. <laughs> um, very jealous I was, though. Uh, I've, the, the next show is in July. Uh, I'll, I'll be at that again. again. I, had I had to go. Well, I went, I went for a seat, seat again, again this time because it was, it was nice actually being sociable, sociable at the show. show. Oh, absolutely. When I got standing, when I got standing ticket at the show, I, like, I feel, I feel guilty, guilty about leaving my spot and like, trying to run my way back in there. I'm actually going to WWE's, I think, a Raw tour over here in September. My daughter wanted to go for a birthday because Bailey's going to be going. So we've got tickets sorted now. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, so she'll hopefully get to see Bailey and Sasha Banks, two of her favourites. Nice. And if they don't switch them to SmackDown in the meantime and break her heart. Oh, oh please not. <laughs> but that's not what we're here to talk about today, Bailey and Sasha Banks. We're actually going way back to 2010 once again. Back to the March 8, 2010 Roar and Impact. And what's special about this date? It's the beginning of the Monday Night War Part 2. Oh, yes. Head-to-head wrestling once again. You might know it from that ongoing wrestling war, but the supremacy supremacy in the balance still to this day, Impact and Raw, very much neck and neck, weren't they? Oh, yeah, very much so. I mean, you know, just WWE had to react as soon as Impact was making deals in India, you know. <laughs> and by react, do you mean put on the blandest possible show they could? <laughs> it was uh, push the blandest, blandest possible wrestling, wrestling they could as well. Possibly. <laughs> it's like Vince said, you know what? We beat WCW with all guns blazing. This one's not even worth the time. Make the show worse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the two shows, of course. Impact obviously comes to us from Orlando, Florida, and it drew a 1.0 rating on TV that night. Raw, coming from Portland, Oregon, drew a 3.4, so your average Raw sort of rating in this day and age, but obviously clearly a landslide victory. I'm surprised the margin is that big already. Yeah, I kind of expected with some of the big names on TNA that they might get a, a bigger number than that first night out, but I don't think this was terribly different to what they got on Thursdays anyway. No, no yeah, um, 1.5 would be like a really, really big high for them. Yeah, so not a not a certainly not a peak for the first week. No. So as for the two shows, which one did you watch first? I, I watched, watched Raw first. first. Ah, me too. We're in sync again. Yeah. Well, in that case, should we go over and check out what happened on Raw and get started? Let's, Let's punch, punch it. it. All right, here we go. Thank you. 
So, the start of Raw begins with the big gong, and Undertaker is here. So that was a pleasant surprise for me. First first one out the blocks was Undertaker, and he got a monumental pop. And I felt old immediately when I saw the signs uh, promoting that he was 17-0. That feels like a long time ago. Oh, yeah, what did he get to in the end? Well, I know Lesnar beat him at 21, but then he won a couple more before Roman beat him. Yeah, so I think it was like 24. Three and two or something. Oh, my God. God. Doesn't sound that impressive anymore. (laughs) Yeah, um, what What brand extension again? Yeah, that was another thing I I thought. But I, like, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong here, but my feelings towards when the brand extension started to die was Raw just became Raw plus SmackDown, and SmackDown was the B-show by then. That's whenever I tuned in how it felt anyway. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's very much... uh, It's that that period where... Vince had been ousted because CM Punk embarrassed him and took the belt, and Triple H was in charge, like, hey, we're going to have a Raw Super Show now, and yeah, everyone on SmackDown just come along. As you would. Yeah. The Undertaker's here, obviously, to promote uh, the big match at WrestleMania, which is going to see Shawn Michaels put his career up against The Undertaker's streak. And Undertaker's here to cut a promo on Shawn and talk about ending his career. But he, he gets to his tagline of rest in peace and Sean's music plays to interrupt him. And he comes out and in a pretty funny line actually says, no, 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 you don't get to finish your line, which I, I don't know, it tickled me for some reason. Uh, you were saying about the signs as well earlier, there are so many signs in the crowd related to this match. Yeah, this is obviously before the big bin at the line where you had to dump your sign on the way in, which they did to me at Survivor Series, the bastards. Well, well, I don't, I don't think, think anybody's calling Shawn Michaels a Holocaust tonight or something, something like that. that. <laughs> Although, Although that was one of the bad rules that actually got through, through <laughs> on TV. <laughs> you saw it during the Roman Taker match, match, I'm like, like what, what the hell? There is no length the crowd won't go to to voice their displeasure at Roman Reigns. Oh, my God. Shawn says, of course, that he's not earned the right to finish his line. And then he says, Undertaker has fear in his heart, which royally pisses the Undertaker off. He eyes nearly pop out of his head. Sean then goes on to say that he wants this to be a no count out, no disqualification match. The promo starts to get a little bit long-winded. It's it's a pretty lengthy. Well, I mean, it's typical in this day and age, isn't it? A lengthy talking segment to open Raw. But other than the no count out, no DQ stipulation being added, there's not a lot of storyline advancement. Undertaker calls Shawn Michaels the greatest of all time, but says he will end his career at WrestleMania. And they talk about a dark cloud that's been hanging over Shawn since last year, and Shawn says that will be hanging over the head of the Undertaker uh, to close out the segment with no violence and a bit of a long-winded one. What did you think? Bit of a weird promo from the Undertaker, like hearing him big up Shawn moving through all his monikers, like, you're the showstopper! The why, Why are you, are you doing, doing Triple H's job, job here? <laughs> that was pretty funny, yeah. Um, it was pretty business as usual on Sean's end, really. Uh, like I say, a bit long. And um... Okay, Lee, you're among friends here, so you can be honest with me. How disappointed were you when you realised that Matt Stryker wasn't calling this show? <laughs> oh, no, I know. I've got nothing to write about. I've got one page now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, that was awful. If I never hear him again, that will be just fine. Oh, um, there's, there's something, something coming up, though. Just have a tiny little cameo. <laughs> I have to say that I do. I think later on in the show, I've got a couple of notes. Um, Michael Cole, at one point, I know 
makes me rage. And I think Lawler might even get a mention at some point here. So, um, oh, there's one from Lawler coming up, up yeah. yeah. If it's in the next match, it actually pop me huge. So, without further ado, then, we go to a Divas six-person tag match. It's Kelly Kelly. Eve and Gail Kim up against Katie Lee, Maurice, and Alicia Fox. I didn't realise Katie Lee still had a job at this point. This is a big surprise to me. And I didn't realise Alicia Fox had been around for over seven years. Oh, longer than that. She was... Um, do you remember when Triple H was ruining Vicky and Edge's wedding in 2008? Yeah. She, Alicia Fox was the wedding planner. Holy shit. That does go back yeah. some ways. Wow. <laughs> okay. Well, what a what job security that is, especially for a woman. Not many of the divas survive that kind of time period back in this day and age. So she's done well. I know. Oh, it's it's really big longevity. Mm. All the talk by the commentators is not of the um, athletic feat we're about to see here, but it's about the pillow fight they had last week. So very much still stuck between: do we want the women to wrestle or do we want them to just be softcore porn? Did you hear who the guest hosts were for that Raw? Was it Cheech and Chong? Cheech and Chong, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, couldn't be much worse than tonight, though. So. Yes, it is at that point that they say that the host this week is Chris Angel. I know, and I was hoping for something spectacular. Like, we thought they're special effects guys and Chris Angel. It could have been something awesome, but we'll get to that later on. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you talk about this... Dichotomy of are they wrestlers? Are they sexy people? Gail's just hanging on from headlock at the start of this match, and Cole doesn't stop talking about how oh she's so flexible, so sleek at times. She's only got a headlock. If you're a wrestler, you can't do a headlock. Then you know. Yeah, the announce table raises about six inches off the ground between Lawler and Cole. Oh Jesus. Gail and Fox do start the match. Um, we get a nice leapfrog from Gail Kim. Um, and I've got onto the head of Alicia Fox, who's on the apron. So it was a, a bit of an interesting spot. I think she sort of catches up, just jumps on her head, really. We get a clothesline from one of the heels on the apron. And Alicia Fox fires back with a big boot for a two count. Before Maurice comes in and hits a backbreaker for a two count. And Jerry Lawler comes out with the absolute line of the night, <laughs> where he says that... He lived with Gail Kim for about four months until she found out I was there. Oh, boy. <laughs> that is one of the absolute best. I'm going to steal that at some point. Um, there was a bit earlier on in the match where we put her foot up on the top buckle and then thought better about it. Like, no, I'm not bothered. Why bother? Yeah. Oh man, that was that popped Cole huge on commentary as well. That line. <laughs> Eve comes in and hits a drop kick for a two count, um, a really bad head snap followed by a flipping splash for a two count, and then they all come in um, a little bit of a brawl. A couple of them drop to the outside, and Eve puts an armbar on Maurice for a very quick victory before going to the next commercial. So six people was too much for the amount of time they had here. I thought. I don't think Kelly or Katie got in legally in that match. No. I mean, I've got, like, three moves written down, and we went back to commercial, so that tells you what they thought about it. Yeah, um, like, okay, so as Eve's doing her hot tag, Cole is putting her over the big time as a Rubik's Cube expert. <laughs> what does that got to do with shit? <laughs> I saw the coolest thing this week. It was a, um, 
I can't remember what I saw it on. A kid juggling a football while doing a Rubik's Cube. That was blew my mind, and he got it. Awesome. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. But, so. Yeah, E. Torres is a bloody judo expert. You think you might want to put her over for that, especially when the finisher in this match is a cross arm breaker. That would be a good idea, wouldn't it? <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah, then again, we don't want to put these women over, do we? Just give them three minutes and... Not, un- not until Stephanie champions their rights. Oh, well, of course, it's Stephanie McMahon, Vivian Ventura, women's wrestling, of course. Yes, it's still to come. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll get there one day. Um, I don't know, yeah. Um, but, yeah, just this match just existed, really. Eve had decent energy, even though she was sloppy, and Gail had some ideas, but didn't have time to do anything to many people. Yep, pretty much. That's the story of the match. Um from there, we come back, and it's backstage to see Hornswoggle with the guest host of the evening, Chris Angel. He's followed in by the Bellas, and he shows them a trick where he pulls a string through his mouth from within his eye, which was pretty disgusting. What did you think about that? Gross. Get off the camera. How is that PG? Uh, it's not really magic either. It's just disgusting. <laughs> Oh, man. So that was it. We go to another commercial break. And when we come back, it's time for our Sonic Cheeseburger Slam of the Week. <laughs> and it's um, Tr- R-Truth and John Morrison winning a WrestleMania tag title shot up against Show Miz. So the R-Truth love fest on this program continues. For now, he's still looking solid. He is indeed. And your friend Striker comes to the fourth year for being truth and wisdom have prevailed. Oh, my God. <laughs> The, the virgins of the steel. Yeah, the horse. <laughs> oh, so we come to our next match, and forget what I just said about WrestleMania because we're going to have it now. Um, although this isn't in place of the WrestleMania matches, as well as it's Show Miz up against John Morrison and our Truth. Um, Miz cuts a bit of a promo on his way out to the ring, and this popped me huge when he says, not since the British Bulldog and Lex Luger at WrestleMania 11 has a team gone to WrestleMania with less credibility. He said he'd rather face the Bushwhackers. That was amazing. (laughs) Well, of course he'd rather face the Bushwhackers because they're guaranteed to win, basically. (laughs) They get their ass bitten, they'll get a battering ram, but they'll somehow keep their titles. A quick rule followed by a squeezy squeezy. Miz has never popped me so hard in a promo in all his life. I like that better than the one where he went off at Daniel Bryan on Talking Smack. Yeah, that was a classic as well. Did you stop the anti-Chris Angel signs in the crowd as well? No, what were they? Uh, There were a couple, looked like the same group of people, um, opposite hard camera. One had a sign that read, Worst host yet, mind freak. (laughs) And then a guy, a couple of uh, seats down from him and said, this is the trick. Make Angel go away. Oh, nice. Nothing will ever top Bob Barker for guest hosts anyway. He was my favourite by far. The Price is Right with Jericho and IRS. Oh, my God. That is memories. <laughs> Which brings me to you, IRS. What do you think? Does this bid include taxes? Does this include taxes? Let's not even think about taxes. Well, no taxes. Well, well, wait a minute, Bob. Everybody has to think about paying taxes. Well, I, I know that we're not here to discuss that. This right. isn't a town hall meeting. 
This is Price is Right. What do you bid? Well, let me do this. I bid $50, and that includes the taxes. You're including the taxes. His bid is $50. Jericho's little name badge on his chest. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> IRS, I think his guess was like $9.99 plus taxes. <laughs> oh, it was amazing. Anyway, back to 2010, where it was slightly less than amazing. But on the Faces entrance, R-Truth once again is over like Rover. He is absolutely loved by the crowd as he sings, What's up? Really, really dug it. Did you hear some of the other teenagers who tried to come up with uh, truth and wisdom? Yeah, they, they ran a few out on commentary. I don't think I took note of any of them. Did you catch them? The, the one that stood out for me uh, was Black Magic and the White Shadow. Well, that's a bit racist. This concept of a white shadow just intrigued me as well. Morrison's like this Capri-like street parkour guy as well. So if he's leaving the shadow, he can't be very good at that because he's not moving quick enough. Didn't they say one that was like rock and rap or something as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Morrison's basically like Jim Morrison and Tree Craps of the Ring. Yeah. That was a bit generic, wasn't it? Mm. Um, But this match is interesting because Morrison and Truth get in. They attack the heels early, knock them both out. They send Big Show into the steel post on the outside and hit a double DDT on Big Show, followed by a double suplex on Miz onto the barricade. And then we get the quickest count out in the history of wrestling since about the 80 Survivor Series. And we've got a double count out to end the match. So, bit of a. Just Honestly, a quick... I, I thought, thought it was the EQ. Because they, they actually called for the bell. Um, when, when was, was it? it? So, so they, they double close on the baseball side of the maze. And it's when, when the show comes in. And it's like, it's way before they're outside the ring. So, I don't know whether that was the bell to start the match or. I couldn't figure it out. Yeah, it was. Um, I don't think they made a formal announcement, did they? On the on the mic. No, no, nothing at all. Which is what confused me. So like, I didn't, I didn't look to see if the referee was counting because I just heard the bell earlier on and I thought, oh, this is one of those nothing DQs they used to do. Well, I think I think Jerry Lawler might have said count out, which was where I got that from. But who knows? Either way, it's not really a match. It's just the faces getting a little bit of heat in the run into WrestleMania. So it, it was what it was. For a segment, it was okay. For a match, it was awful. Yeah, nothing much, really. Um, the other thing as well, like, how, how did that work anyway? Because Miz and... No, sorry. Truth and... I keep saying Truth and Wisdom. Truth and Morrison. They, like, jumped the gun and started off the match early. So, like, surely if... There was a cow involved. They need a legal man established. Mm-hmm. I would think but so. Yeah. It was just a big small. So. Uh, we'll 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 just call it a no contest. No contest. We get another commercial break, and then from there we go to a video package on Cena and Batista, which I thought was really well done. Um, it's this is a rivalry that I I think kind of crept along a little bit. It never reached that Cena Orton you know, overdone stage, but it was one that always held intrigue when they came back to it. So the video package here really highlighted it well for me. I think we've just missed the, um, like, interview segment that made this feud for the previous week and the sounds of it when just Cena wants to know why Dave would attack him and Dave comes out and he's like, no, I should be the face of the WWE, you know, you 
hugging fat women and kissing babies and stuff. And well, yeah, I mean, if you look at their career trajectory, I can never say trajectory. I don't know why. I can say it fine if I stop. (laughs) Their career trajectory since then, um, Batista's certainly proven that he's got the star power. So a little bit of um. I don't know. I don't know if he knew it at the time, but there seemed to be a little bit of it meant he meant what he said in that, and it came across really well. For sure. Um, but yeah, no, that was a. It definitely looked like it, it made me excited to see the match at WrestleMania. Um, from there, we get Josh Matthews interviewing John Cena, who wants to talk about it, and he says that um, he, he's right. Batista does always beat him every time they get in the ring. Cena ends up hurt. Uh, he broke Cena's neck, which I didn't actually know. Um, that was the power bomb with Cena jumping off the top rope and Batista catching him with the power bomb at SummerSlam, I believe. Obviously, Batista beat him in the Vince's Quads edition of the Royal Rumble. <laughs> um, that was one I've got fond memories of. And um, yeah, Batista's typically had the upper hand on him, um, which Cena does admit to. He says that he wants to beat him and that um, he expects to be able to beat him. So a decent promo from Cena. One of his sort of... I'm going to get serious now promos, but it, in this instance, it came across pretty well. Fine. I was just distracted by how much of a nerd Josh Matthews looked. <laughs> he still is. And then we get probably my favorite segment of the night. Chris Angel is with Evan Bourne, who he tells is putting into the Money in the Bank match. And then we get William Regal and Skip Sheffield. <laughs> this was... <laughs> I'm going to splice this in right here because words do it no justice. Thank you so much for the opportunity tonight. Wrestling William Regal for the spotted Money in the Bank ladder match at WrestleMania. It's a young superstar's dream come true. Thank Chief you. You're the, my Chris favorite Angel, guest host. Skip Sheffield, NXT rookie. Pleasure to meet you. Right up, man. Evan, great to see you again, man. Skip. How you doing? Silence. I'll see you in the ring, sunshine. I'll be there. I'll wait for you in your lavender. Chris, I'm a huge fan of yours. I was wondering if right here, right now, you could show me one of your special mind tricks. Mind tricks, you muppet. I got You get flummoxed with those automatic water dispensers in the toilets at the airport. Well, let's see how long it takes to get inside your mind. When you read his mind, it'll take about two seconds. I want you to take the marker and write a number. Place it face down on your chest. I'm going to close my eyes so everybody at home can see that there's no way I could know what number you're writing down. Place it face down on your chest and let me know. Oh, that's a good one, Coach Riggle. I don't think he's gonna get that. It's a good one. That's a good number. Yeah, I want a pen. Right. I want you to look at me. I'm gonna try to get inside your mind. You can do whatever you want. Your number is between one and 50. 51 and 100. 51 and 100, you blink, you see you blinked again. 51 and 60. I'm gonna go to 51 and 60. 51, 52, 53, 54, 55, 56, 57, 58, 59, 60. The number 11 means something to you. Five and six, 56. Is that the number? Yep, yep, yep. Shoot, what it do? Coach Regal, I told you, I told you he can do it. You owe me a Travis Tritt CD. Yep, yep, yep. Shoot. 
Anytime Regal calls anyone sunshine, I mark. <laughs> He's just absolutely hilarious. And Ryback is a fucking muppet in this segment in his um country t- country boy stone cold vest. <laughs> Regal calls him a muppet as well. He's like, yes. <laughs> What's his his vest says like corn fed or something on it. Yeah, yeah, that's his, that's his, his Monica, Monica, the Colossus. Oh, my God. That was just awful. But Regal made this segment. He was brilliant. Um, the, the long and the short of it is Regal's going to face Evan Bourne now, so we're going to come up to that shortly on the show. Um, check that out if you've not seen it. I don't, I don't think, think we should skip over the skip. Because <laughs> he, he had some good lines in this segment as well. So, like, Regal picks his number and he's like, that's a good number. <laughs> and then um, when Angel predicts the number, Skip goes, you owe me a Travis Tret CD. <laughs> Oh, he was good, wasn't he? And when, when he got the number right, it's just his facials were brilliant too. Yeah, just fantastic. Yeah, so good segment all around. Although I hear from Ryback's podcast that he actually invented magic and uh, he came up with the idea for this segment all by himself. I've never listened to Ryback's podcast, so I'm going to have to check that out. <laughs> just he takes credit for everything. Yeah, he invented the shield. Yeah, he told John Cena to stop doing a certain move. Yeah, blah blah blah. He sounds a little bit like Vince Russo then. Mm. Uh, okay, so our next matchup is Cody Rhodes and Ted DiBiase facing Randy Orton in a handicap match. And this here is where the commentary got to me once again for uh, this night's affair. We've got Orton coming out and attacking. Cody Rhodes and Ted DiBiase on the stage. And how does Michael Cole sell the surprise of Orton with the early attack? Randy Orton, the Viper. Like, it's just a SmackDown vs. Raw soundbite. I'm like, no, you're supposed to actually sell that you didn't know that was going to happen. It's not in your fucking script. Don't. Oh, my God. It just drove me nuts. It takes you out of the moment completely. Uh, I I was taken out of the moment already by a a sign in the crowd. It says, game on, Shamus. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Oh, yeah. I just desperately want Michael Cole to talk like a human being sometimes, but this is one of those occasions. Um, when we do get the match started, Cody and Randy Orton start in. They exchange blows before Ted comes in, um, hits a nice clothesline, bringing Cody Rhodes back in. They double-team Orton for a little bit, uh, but Orton fires back with a, uh, with a backdrop and sends Cody Rhodes out as we go to a commercial break. When we come back, Orton's working over both of them. Um, hits a clothesline on Cody Rhodes before Cody comes back with a jawbreaker, and Ted hits a drop kick on the floor to Orton, which was a strange move because when you get thrown over to the floor, it's sort of, you know, a big spot, but throwing yourself up for a drop kick on there, and he, it didn't bother him. So, some wrestling logic there. Um, they start to wear down Orton a little bit. Ted hits a clothesline, and Cody Rhodes hits a dropkick inside the ring for a two-count. A lot of quick tags and beating down of Orton. <coughs> he does fight back, though. Hits clotheslines and power slams on both of them. And Cole says, The WWE's apex predator is in a feeding frenzy. Oh, fuck did, off, did Michael he, Gold. <laughs> did, he, did he steal Matt Striker's... Or something. He must have done. I'm like, I've, he's not bitten either of them. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> oh, 
Uh, Cody Rhodes in this match used a uh, you know the Haka Holly move where he drapes all over the rope and kicks him in the gut. Yes, yes. I that's, like seeing that. Seeing as they were partners and stuff. Yeah, I did. I, that, I I really liked Hardcore Holly, and I thought their team had some potential, but it didn't last long enough. Um, what was it? Santino called them um, the the balding guy, the guy with the girl's name. <laughs> that should have been a team name. That would have been brilliant. Just picture that on a nameplate coming out for a big pay per view. Mm. Ted hitting the Dream Street for the three count, which is essentially a million dollar dream, then lifted up into a slam, which was pretty cool. Yeah, Cody distracted Orton while he was mid RKO, and as Orton was trying to scooch him away, that's when Teddy snuck up behind the Dream Street. That's what Cody DIS meant. I've got to stop abbreviating words if I'm not going to be reading them for a couple of days. <laughs> After the match, Cody hits a crossroads on Orton for a little bit more punishment to be rub, rub some salt in the wounds. Do you remember what Cole says after this? No. The numbers game just got too much in the end. Oh, God. How is he still uh, employed? Uh, anywho, moving right along, we go back to our good friend Josh Matthews. This time he's with Batista, and Batista gives his word that he won't get involved in our main event, which is set to be Vince McMahon taking on John Cena. <laughs> um, the match graphic for that turned up earlier on in the show. I'm like, what? Yeah, I was scratching my head. It was very much a. Um, this was the only thing that I think made them look like they were competing because I don't know if you remember or you probably do remember it's one of the most famous moments but when Raw teased Vince and Stone Cold throughout the whole show when they were just fighting back in the Monday Night War and I'm like this is it's got that feel to it where they keep talking about Vince versus Cena Vince versus Cena and you know there's going to be a swerve coming but you want to see what it is mm, yeah pretty much um, we go, we flip across and we see Triple H walking backstage and we go to a commercial break. When we come back, Triple H is on his way to the ring for a pretty decent pop. Uh, I thought it was a bit of a disappointing reaction, really. People were just like, oh, yay, Triple H. And then Cole quotes, what an ovation. Yeah, it wasn't huge, but it was better than anyone but Undertaker on the show, I thought. So there wasn't a lot. The crowd wasn't really that hot for most of this stuff, to be honest. Maybe R-Truth got a sing-along, but other than that, they were pretty quiet. Um, we get a video package of Sheamus attack on Triple H the week before, hitting him with a brogue kick and a bit of a beatdown, but it's got some really weird FX in it. I don't know what they were going for here, but it's not something they usually do with like the shaky screen and the different colours and things like that. What did you think about the, the video package here? Yeah, and like sort of, you know, like cracked screen and Instagram type filter over it and stuff. It was just mm. odd. Yeah, it, it wasn't their normal slick production. I mean, well, I suppose it's a very paint by numbers incident, really. Oh, Triple H can cost me in the chamber, I'm going to beat him up now. It's like they just got a copy of Vegas Pro and put every fil- every like special effect on this one clip. But yeah, we get um, Triple H is coming out for a promo. He respects Sheamus for making a statement last week. And then Sheamus comes out to issue a challenge to Triple H to face him at WrestleMania, something CM Punk had no interest in doing. Uh, well, 
I think, I'm not sure if we've had this yet, but apparently at some point Triple H says Sheamus maybe had the greatest first year in the history of the business. That's my next note, and it just says, fuck off. (laughs) (sighs) You know, this is our podcast, how much we love Triple H, but there's a point in his career where. There's just bullshit Triple H promos, and this is like the genesis of this for me. Like, no, stop trying to make your match way more important than it actually is. Yeah, um, this was just absolute lies. Um, not, a, and it's not just Kurt Angle. I could name half a dozen off the top of my head that have better first years than Sheamus. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, Brock Lesnar was a champion in a few months and actually drew. Was genuinely oh, over. Maybe this is the thing. Maybe it's uh, the greatest first year in the history of the business out of all the people we've not blackballed for being in DNA or MMA or something. Yeah, more than likely, I would say that's that's pretty close to the mark. Um, speaking of Triple H and, and Kyle, have you did either of you see that picture someone did on? I think it was on Twitter this week of all the Triple H endorsing pictures put into one picture of him just giving the thumbs up with arms around and it was just all him in the picture. Oh, yes, that was marvellous. Yeah, that cracked up WrestleMania weekend because that... <laughs> he took a selfie with himself. <laughs> if... And it just escalated from there. If there is a God, one day I will get a picture of Kyle with Triple H endorsing him. <laughs> and then we'll just run havoc with it for the rest of time. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so Triple H um, says that he um, makes an impact at Mania. It, it, sorry, he says that Sheamus hasn't done anything until he makes an impact at WrestleMania. He says that his first WrestleMania, he thought he was going to come out and make an impact, and he got squashed like a bug, referencing his WrestleMania 12 match with the Ultimate Warrior, which I was very shocked to hear. Um, well, referencing Warrior without actually mentioning Warrior by name. Yes, he was still very much blackballed at this point in time. Mm. I think in the video package for this feud later on, though, like from where I last saw the WrestleMania from, they do actually show Triple H getting squashed by Warrior. Mm. Uh, WrestleMania 12, I do remember that quite vividly. I was always excited for a Warrior return, but they were getting a little bit less entertaining as time went on by this stage. Mm. Matter of weeks away. Yeah, not far off. I'm looking forward to yeah. it. The baseball hat and the the portrait on the head from Jerry Lawler is coming up. Oh, yeah. Triple H says that the list of people that have beat him at WrestleMania have gone on to become legends and mortals in the business, but it's a very short list, and there's a much longer list of people that have lost to him at WrestleMania and that they have gone on to become nothing. Well, there's actually an even longer list, and that's the people that have had to have 30-minute matches with him at WrestleMania for no real reason. <laughs> <laughs> yes, just the precise language he used here. So he's saying about more people have failed and they have become a footnote. Mm. Right. I'm, 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 I'm going to say a list of names here, okay? Owen Hart, Gold Dust, The Rock, Mick Foley, Kane, Chris Jericho, Booker T, and Randy Orton. <laughs> Virtual nobodies. I know, yeah, WrestleMania. Oh, hang on a second. Um, was that the list of his WrestleMania opponents? I thought that was the people he squashed in 2002. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it was people who, who had losses to Triple H at WrestleMania up to this point. Oh, no, it's a joke, isn't it? I know, yeah, but... 
Yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, that's, that's the whole point. point. When does Triple H ever face a nobody that is fading away into non-existence at WrestleMania? Yeah, not a one. No. It's actually um, probably a good sign that you're under something if you face him at all, win or lose. Exactly. So, yeah, um, but no, the guy, he did mention, I think by name, he didn't mention any of those guys. The ones he did mention were Cena and Batista, I think, and good examples of the opposite end of the argument, though, of guys that have beat him and gone on to become stars. So that that part of his promo I did like. No mention of Undertaker. No, because that match never happened, the first one. <laughs> <laughs> and um, there's someone else he mentioned as well, but nobody ever mentioned anymore for quite good reasons. So. Oh yes, I was trying to scratch my head and think who that was then, and I realised why I didn't remember because he doesn't exist. Also, mm-hmm. which is fair enough. I, I'll never yeah. give them shit for not bringing him up for anything anymore. So no problem there for no. me. Um, he asked Seamus if he's if he thinks it's worth it, and Seamus gets a very worried look on his face here. It's actually good facials from Seamus because he does look like he's gotten that holy shit. Have I bitten off more than I can chew? Look on his face now. But in typical fashion, he then just goes, now nah, fuck it, and attacks him. But Triple H gets the upper hand, clotheslines him outside the ring. They have a bit of a brawl on the outside. Get back in. We get the Arn Anderson spinebuster, and Sheamus hightails it out of the ring. So your typical sort of build-up to WrestleMania segment this was. It's, this huge just feels very painted by numbers to me. Yeah. Like, like before, before they went, went with... Cena and Batista being championship match, this was going to be the WWE title match. Can you imagine this match with the title line? I always find it interesting, the guys they take the belt off leading up to WrestleMania, what they do with them. You sort of get an, a clue as to where they really stand in the pecking order at that point when they take the belt off you in sort of January, February and what they do with you at Mania. Like, look at AJ Styles this year, you know, first match with Shane McMahon. Yeah, it was good, but... That shows they didn't think he was quite ready for that spotlight yet. Um, even going back historically, like Kurt Angle, I think, was it in WrestleMania 17 they took the belt off him? And was it? I think they just threw him in a nothing sort of feud with Benoit when they were both. I think Benoit was freshly turned face at that point. And you could tell that it was just, we're giving you something to do because we don't think you can, you know, main event and, and carry the company. So I always find that fascinating where they end up. Yeah, yeah they, they kind of used... Kurt to turn Benoit face actually like they'd be handicap matches and wouldn't get along and stuff like that. Yeah. But I mean, like on a similar level, like I just think of um, 2005, Big Show was headlining for No Way Out before WrestleMania against JBL, and then the next month he's in this novelty sumo match with Becky Bono. (laughs) Which I only found out recently that was a shoot. Oh, really? I think, was it, I'm sure Carl told, I found out on one of the shows, I'm sure I did, I'm sure Carl told me that was a complete shoot. I'm still flabbergasted to this day. Wow. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> but no, good times. So, yeah, I think you're right. It is a bit paint by numbers. There's not a lot to this here. It's not something that, you know, knowing we're coming up to WrestleMania, it's not a match I'm looking forward to. Knowing it's going to go 20 plus minutes, I'm dreading it, actually. We'll see. From there, we go to Santino backstage with Chris Angel, and this made me think we might get something good out of these backstage segments here for a second. Um, Chris Angel does a trick where he puts a knife blade up underneath one of four cups um, and basically punches, you know, lets Santino move them around and hide which one it is and hits the cups with the implication being if he gets the wrong one, he's going to be stabbed in the hand, but obviously he gets it right. Um, Santino tries to tell him that he's 
was a, I th- did he say he was a relative? The great Italian Harry Houdini and Chris Angel, of course, tells him Houdini wasn't Italian. So some good comedy back and forth here, but really just filler in the end. You say that um, when Angel tells him, no, Houdini wasn't actually Italian, Santino says, oh, no, don't believe the liberal media that are telling you that. What the fuck? He's a happy lucky baby face to enforce your bloody political ideology on people. What the hell? It's fake news. I didn't realise the Cobra was a thing for this long as well. Yeah, crazy. Amazing. I, he had a good run. Um, from there, we go to the match we talked about earlier. It's Evan Bourne up against William Regal. Uh, Regal comes out with his NXT rookie, Skip Sheffield. And on commentary is Christian with his NXT rookie, Heath Slater. Not on commentary, just stood there watching. <laughs> Doesn't even get a chair, actually. <laughs> Fucking rookies. <laughs> uh, um, when we get started, Regal starts off with some cool-looking knees and uppercuts and a really good underhook suplex for a two-count followed by a T-burn suplex. Evan Bourne comes back with a knee and immediately hits a shooting star press for a three count. So a little bit disappointing. This was just a, you know, quick one and done, really. I know I wanted so much more of this match because it was really good. What the little bit was, not it? Yeah, that sort of minute or two was the best wrestling on the show. Absolutely, yeah. Did you notice as well, Regal still announced as the 2008 King of the Ring? I didn't catch that, No. Like, he still have a King of the Ring logo on his Charlie stuff as well. Very cool. He, he must have... Um, I don't, it was a while before they did another one. Wasn't Seamus the next one? Yeah, Seamus in December of this year, actually. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Not bad. Mm. Um, go on, sorry. Well, um, so, Balls are qualified for this Money in the Bank ladder match, and already the, the feel for this match is so full of names. Oh, yeah. So, now there's Evan as well as Shelton Benjamin, Jack Swagger, Kane, Mahardy, Dolph Ziggler, and MVP. I'm looking forward to that as well, actually. Yeah, and you know what? It's not over yet either. More to come. (laughs) There's more to come. Wait, did you say Christian? Oh, sorry, yeah, Christian as well. Yeah, sorry, I just listed the people not involved in the map, yeah. Okay, yeah, cool. So that's why Christian's out of commentary, yeah. Um, from there, we get another commercial break, and we get a WrestleMania recall. And this one surprised me. They go to the recap of Goldberg and Brock Lesnar, so I didn't expect that to ever appear in a video. <laughs> I really, yeah, this this tickled me no end. Like, look at how shit this match was. <laughs> what a weird memory, especially like, you know, what are we? What what is this year? Like WrestleMania twenty seven or something coming up? Twenty six. Twenty six. Yeah, I mean. Plenty more they can pick from. But there is a method in their madness because they use it to highlight the guest referee, Steve Austin, and tell us that he'll be the guest host of WrestleMania. So that's pretty cool. I'm looking forward to that. The guest host of Raw next week. Oh, why did I write WrestleMania? What an idiot. Well, we'll then go over what the card is for WrestleMania so far as well. Uh, yeah, we get a bit of a rundown, followed by a bit of a hype video for the Bret Hart-Vince McMahon match, which I'm definitely not looking forward to. I have um, seen this match out of WrestleMania, so I know how shit this is. Ah, uh, okay. Um, yeah, so just to run through this package, so Vince wanted to give Bret a proper farewell after his car accident, but guess what? He lied! <laughs> That's exactly um, how he says it, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So, so he, he tries, tries to antagonise Brett into having a match with him at WrestleMania. And this is where Bret Hart has the immortal line. Get it through your head. I can't wrestle. I've got a broken leg. Sounds <laughs> so, so much like um, Stu when he does that. Oh, he sounds more like Stu with every passing year, doesn't he? I know. <laughs> oh, have you seen... Um, there's this random clip of him um, on his Facebook page where he, he's like... He's got, got Simpsons, Simpsons action figures like, Hey, Brock Lesnar, ever had one of these? I did yeah, s- I don't think so. <laughs> I did see that. That is so odd. It's fucking hilarious. It's the most I've ever laughed with Bret Hart. What's his beef with Brock Lesnar, though? I, I, I just think he's, like... I don't think it's a beef thing. It's just, like... He's going to pick up a prominent name. Although he did target Flair afterwards. He's just losing his marbles a little bit, but that's fine. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Vince kicks his crutch away, and that leads to Bret accepting the challenge. Yeah, so... As I said, not looking forward to it, but we'll get all the build-up in the meantime. From there, we get Chris Angel coming out to introduce the main event, and out comes John Cena, and out comes Vince McMahon, who tells us it's not going to be a regular one-on-one match, but it's going to be a handicap gauntlet match. So this is a bit of a shock to the system, but shenanigans we were expecting. Handicap gauntlet. <laughs> Yeah, I was kind of wondering exactly what this was going to be. And having watched it, I'm still not exactly sure what it was. <laughs> um, yeah, Chris Angel was the guest announced, ring announcer for this match. So he got a load of pirate when he came out. Uh, um, and apparently he's the magician of the century, according to Cole. Oh, it's a pretty recent century, isn't it? There's not been a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> magician of the decade and yes. yeah. Um, yeah he's immediately irritating the moment he says anything on like yeah he has go away heat for wrestling crowds definitely so the match actually starts with Cena up against his first opponent Vladimir Kozlov um, Kozlov comes in hits a power slam and some headbutts followed by a sort of a weird choke slam dropping to one knee to put him down tags in Vince so apparently it's a um tag team rules where they're not both in the ring at the same time. He comes in, gets a two count, and because he's not got the three, waves in the next person. So Kozlov's not been eliminated, but Vince just brings the next person out, which is not really how I thought a gauntlet match would work. And it's Drew McIntyre who comes in, hits a flatliner, tags in Vince, gets a two count. So Vince waves in the next partner, which is Jack Swagger as we go to a commercial break. I don't know what the rules are of this, but that's what we're going to do. We're going to follow it along. Cena, when we come back from the commercial, hits a five-knuckle shuffle before Jack Swagger fires back with a power slam and a splash for a two-count. Vince comes in... Oh, sorry, tagging Vince in to make the two-count. This doesn't work, so he waves in Mark Henry, who reluctantly hits Cena with a world's strongest slam, tags in Vince for a two-count. And... Vince then um, goes and gets the bell and tells us this is a no-DQ match. He wants Mark Henry to hit Cena with the bell. Mark Henry's reluctant, then stops Vince hitting him with the bell himself, bringing out Batista, who spears Mark Henry, who was trying to stop Vince McMahon using the bell, as I said. 
We get Kofi Kingston coming out to make the save of the heels on Cena, but he doesn't last too long. Gets B- Batista bombed straight to hell. That was a wicked fold-up power bomb. Oh, it, it was straight. He did his weird little uh, crouch punch thing in the corner. Dave's like, nope. <laughs> Not having that at all. Nope. Um, John Cena then makes a comeback on Batista and begins to stalk Vince McMahon in what I would say would have to come pretty close to being my dick move of the week. He's taken finishes off all the big heels and also Mark Henry, and he's got Vince McMahon and Batista both down now somehow. So the Super Cena strikes again, but he does eat a spear and the Batista bomb, and this does allow Vince to pick up the three count and beat John Cena. That's basically my only note on the quality of this match. Like, yay, Cena kicks out for seven finishes instead of one. Woo! While, of course, Mark Henry and Kofi Kingston, who have each eaten one move, lay on the outside for all eternity while this all happens. It just, yeah, way to not only make all your heels look bad, but all your faces simultaneously. Very true. Drew, I should point out as well, is a SmackDown guy. But it kind of makes sense for Vince to call him out here because he's supposedly Vince's chosen one, whatever. Yeah. It's just, um, this was not a good main event. And it wasn't a patch on the um, Austin Vince swerve from 98. I have to say, but the closing image of this show was brilliant when Big Dave is standing over Cena and he calls for the spotlight to go solely on him. I love when he does that gimmick, it's great. Yeah, Batista's got some really good character work going on here at the moment, but overall, for me, I thought this show was a little bit of a dud. What did you think? (laughs) Yeah, shit. (laughs) (laughs) The the most worthwhile thing on this show was like a 90-second match between Everborn and Regal. The only in-ring work that got any sort of time was for the Legacy and Orton handicap match, which was basically every Orton match ever. You know, skulk, punch, kick, soul, clothesline, drop kick, rest hold, then save all your actual moves for the last two minutes of the match. It was like, how can we get all the Raw WrestleMania matches in the ring without having a proper match for the night? We well, see, that's, that's the thing. thing. Does, Does this feel like we're on the verge of WrestleMania to you? Because it doesn't for me. No, it feels more like a... um a throwaway sort of two weeks after WrestleMania where they all just interact again. But, you know, I remember the days where, like, if you look at Rock and Austin at Mania 17, um, granted that's probably the apex of sort of wrestling feuds, but the build-up, the physicality was kept to a minimum and it was always impactful and meant something. So The Rock would come out at the end of an Austin match and hit him with his own move, and that was the closing scene for the show and the crowd oohed and aahed, whereas now it's like Triple H and... Sheamus have beat each other up two weeks in a row. The tag title match happened, but didn't really happen already. The um, Cena and Batista have been going at it for weeks. Like, it, there's nothing here that's been really held off and kept sacred. Yeah, and Legacy and Orton had a full-blown match. Yeah. You know, you're thinking Randy Orton is being groomed as the next babyface and John Cena. He has something important to do at WrestleMania, but I don't know, just blow off his match. I mean, it should have just been those guys targeting him and costing him matches for weeks, and then maybe the week or two before, he costs one of them a match with an RKO, and that's it. That's the only interaction they have until the show. It sounds to me like they're saving everything up for next week. Austin was a guest host, and it's going to be WrestleMania Rewind Night, 
with Cena and Show, HBK and Jericho, and Triple H and Orton wrestling. Which sounds like a pretty stacked show, to be fair. Much more stacked than this, which is, brings me on to my other question. Did this feel to you like a show where they were actually concerned with any head-to-head competition because it felt totally like business as usual to me? Not at all. As I said at the start of the show, it was almost like they went out of their way to be worse than usual. <laughs> Bingo. Yeah. yeah. That's, That's the best way I could sum up that show, actually. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. So... From there, we wrap up Raw, and we head over to Impact to see what their first ever live Monday night show can offer. Will it be better than Raw? Let's go and find out. the bat i would say impact has got a very cool new opening video that's very wwe-esque what did you think about the opening video yeah, yeah it's quite, quite good, good actually yeah um lots, lots of good, good clips and things and um everyone, everyone had some like fresh photo shoots as well which looked pretty good. good very slick we then get a bunch of pyro um as usual we're in the impact zone in orlando florida if you've got the eagle eye you spot dixie carter at ringside as well as brooke hogan and we get our commentary team of Taz and Mike Tanay. So no Don West, no Matt Stryker. This is winning all around. 10 on 10 already. <laughs> um, the first matchup, though, this was a bit of a strange decision. TNA had been hyping the big match for their first Monday night show, or first live Monday night show. Hulk Hogan coming back into the ring, teaming with Abyss. Ric Flair coming out of retirement, teaming with AJ Styles in a big tag match. And they decide this is going to be the first thing we see when the show opens. Interesting decision. Right out of the blocks. Start hot. Start with what people want to see. Um, my I was immediately suspicious of this, though. I will say that. Yeah, rightfully so. <laughs> <laughs> there was a sign in the crowd, I don't know whether you saw it, was, it was spelled out raw with really awful wrestling. <laughs> yeah, I did, that's on my notes here as well. That was brilliant. Like, how, did you, how did you see the show? It's, it's not even happened yet. How do you know it's awful? <laughs> well, he's actually, they've, they've done quite well. They've obviously got spoilers somehow or someone on the phone letting them know. <laughs> Um, no, that was good. I Did you notice as well, like, from the very start, because this was probably the one thing I will say, give them the benefit of the doubt on with this being the first match, the crowd are absolutely uh, rabid. They are hot for this. I mean, yeah, yeah that's the number I put on the top of my page. The crowd here, absolutely unbelievable. All so long, really. Yeah, uh, yeah, they don't really let on off for anything, so I'm, fair play to them. They were... It, to me, it was like they were trying to do their part in making this successful. Mm. So, well done. Somebody had to. <laughs> um, we get a huge ovation for Hulk as well as the the rabid fans for everything in general and a big Hulk chant as well. 
Hulk comes out and cuts a promo on AJ and Ric Flair. Says he's taking TNA forward. He um, calls Abyss his blood brother, which he does a couple of times. I find that very strange. And then we get the heels coming out, both in Ric Flair robes, AJ with his hood still on. So putting them side by side made me less impressed with AJ's robe. What did you think? I mean, <laughs> to, to be, be honest, honest, the first time round the side, oh, this is a bit cheap in places. And then, like you say, when it's next to the genuine article, it's definitely not the case. Yeah. Uh, TNA, uh, sorry, TNA. Tanay calls this an invasion of Monday nights, and I found that choice of words to be a bit of an omen, uh, because the original invasion didn't go so well, so I probably would have chose something else. <laughs> oh, fair point. Um, do, do you notice Hogan's not got any knee braces on? I didn't notice, no. Like, he must be totally fucked at this point, and he's got no protection. This is really strange. Yeah, fair enough. When the match gets underway, it's AJ Styles and Abyss starting, obviously. Um, AJ, uh, sorry, Abyss hits a press slam on AJ. Ric Flair comes in and hits some chops, but they're no sold. Abyss chops back on Flair, hits him with a backdrop, and all four men come in the ring. AJ Styles hits a Pele kick on the Hulkster, and the heels start to beat down the faces before the lights go out. When Did, did you know ahead of time who was coming here? Uh, yeah. Okay, I didn't, and I, I didn't have a suspicion as to who it was, but I was interested to see Sting. My immediate thought when the lights come on, though, was he's turning heel. Oh, there was never a moment's doubt in my mind that he was here to attack the faces. Mm. Well, I don't, I don't think, think he's been, been on TNA TV since he was in, in the Raptors on that January 4th show. Yeah, so oh, you knew something was coming. Mm. Um, he hits a... The the heel, sorry, hit a sick chair shot on Abyss, really unprotected to the head, and then a much softer one on Hulk Hogan, which made it really look bad in comparison. <laughs> Brooke Hogan in the crowd is very upset. Is very upset as Sting beats down both the good guys with his bat. Uh, Ric Flair and AJ Styles are shocked by this, so selling that they weren't in cahoots, that they didn't know this was coming. Hulk begins to bleed pretty badly. Um, he's laid down. He's bloody. All the heels leave and Hulk gets on the mic, lay on the floor and says that he wants them back out here later for a no DQ match. And the crowd are very hot for this. So not bad booking in in a way. Bit of a letdown of a match that we didn't get a couple of minutes, but it was what it was and the crowd is still into it. Yeah, it's a very effective way of keeping intrigued for the rest of the show, really. Um, I was fine with this. Like I say, there's nothing in terms of ring stuff, but yeah. yeah. The next segment, though, I wasn't too keen on. Dixie Carter backstage trying to stop Sting and saying, Steve, you owe me an explanation. Oh, God, don't do this crappy shooty stuff. Um, Sting grabs her by the throat and puts her up against a wall and tells her he owes her nothing before walking out. So uh, what did you think about that? Dixie totally no-sold this as well. As soon as Sting's uh, hand leaves the throat, it's like, oh, okay, sort this out. Yeah, it was pretty bad. We go then to Jeremy Borash with Ric Flair and AJ Styles, who cut a pretty good promo. All right, thank you very much. I am as shocked as everybody else is. Well, i got to ask you something tonight. The match has been ordered to be restarted later on tonight, but I have to ask you, where does Sting fit in all this? Do-over! 
wrestlers in pro wrestling. We own those guys. <laughs> but if you want to do over, Hogan, we'll beat you up all over again. <laughs> Sting has finally come to his senses. Thank God. And on the right night. I always knew that I owned you, Sting. You proved it tonight. You see this? You want to restart? This is Hogan and Abyss is blood. I haven't even started yet. If I'm going to come out of retirement, I'm going to make a statement around the world. Tonight, it's Ric Flair and AJ Styles night. Make no mistake, you want to restart? We're going to finish this job. I don't care if we're at Universal Studios or in heaven. You guys are going out of here in an ambulance, courtesy of AJ. Category down the name Ric Flair, baby. Woo! Not too bad at all, talking about how they didn't know what was going to happen with Sting, but they're glad he's seen the good side, so. It's a couple of dodgy lines from Flair's side of things, though. So he's talking about how if he's going to come out of retirement, he's going to make a statement around the world. I don't care if it's Universal Studios or Heaven. <laughs> Oh, that's good. And then he closes the promo with, You want blood, guts, and gory? Dominic Savoy, Ric Flair, baby! Woo! <laughs> yeah, the pretty intent. Much what, pretty much what he slagged fully off for several years ago. Yeah, well, he's got to pay the bills now, though. Um, We get Abyss backstage wondering why Sting has done what he's done. And then we get Brooke talking to... I believe this might be Hulk Hogan's second wife, um, Jennifer, I think her name was, talking about how Hulk's not okay. He's not okay. You, he might look okay, but he's not okay. I know him, and he's not okay. She says he's not okay quite a lot. Mm. Uh, it's, what are we, about half an hour in at this point in time, yeah. maybe? Yeah. It, it, yeah. yeah. No, no, get, no. It's, it's clear who the supposed star of the show is. is. Yeah, so much for the whole bringing up the young guys that he talked about previously. It's very much the Hulk Hogan oh, yeah. show. And Abyss and Flair, sorry, Abyss and AJ are the backdrop, Sting and Flair and the new main players in around Hulk Hogan. Mm. Um, from there, we get Frankie Kazarian cutting a promo on reigniting the X Division, which we, brings out an X Division chant from the crowd. Christopher Daniels comes out and says that he should be the one leading them. And then Doug Williams cuts comes out, the exhibition champion, to cut a promo on the both of them. The three argue a little bit, bringing out Eric Bischoff onto the ramp, who immediately, I think, is going to book them in a triple threat. And he does. Um, the one thing I will say here is Frankie Kazarian apparently had a title shot already for the upcoming pay-per-view, but Bischoff tells him that he's going to get his match now and make it a triple threat. So he's not getting one at a pay-per-view, and it's not just him anymore. That's a bit of a shit deal. Exactly. Yeah, my thoughts exactly on that. Um, just a few things that cropped up from the verbiage of some of these promos. So Daniels, who I was surprised to actually still see in the company. I thought he told them all get fucked a long while ago, actually. I thought it was already gone. He claims he was the X Division for 10 years before X Division meant anything. Mm, not so sure about that. <laughs> um, then I also, Doug Williams made me laugh by 
talking about how Kaz and Daniels were two geezers in the ring starting off. <laughs> yeah, he, he very much came across as a personality of this piece, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Um, he got USA chance as well. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Um, Eric Bischoff as well. I thought some of his verbiage was quite toxic, really, because he kept talking about how he came in with Hulk to turn TNA around. Yeah. So that implies you've taken over a failing project, which, you know, A, is going to insult the people who are already loyal to that, and B, immediately lower people's expectations of the product anyway. Like, oh, what, so this isn't a successful place? Why, why should I care about it? Yeah, and these guys have just talked about how they've been here all along, so they must be shit. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, the match gets started, and they all attempt pins early on. Christopher Daniels hits a nice leg lariat. Doug Williams hits a nice back elbow. And we get a bit of a roll-up for a one count. Uh, sorry, Frankie Kazarian hits a roll-up on one, like sort of the back, you know, where you've got your legs on their legs as they arch over, and has the other one in a Northern Lights suplex at the same time, getting two counts on both, and that was a really cool move. That's brilliant. He hits a somersault dive onto both on the outside. Doug Williams gets back in and hits an elbow for a two count. I'm not put who all these moves are on because the pace was so quick that I'm just riding whoever hits the move and that that's it. Um, you'd have to go and watch the match if you want to see who's being hit. Daniels hits a nice slingshot elbow and an STO and then a lion salt for a two count, a Death Valley driver for a two count before Kazarian comes back with a springboard missile drop kick onto both men and then hits a spin kick for a two count a spinning back elbow, and a springboard leg lariat for a two-count. Lots of uh, jumps and bounces off the ropes here going on. He hits an inverted atomic drop and a neck breaker for a two-count before Christopher Daniels hits a rock-bottom type slam and misses the BME. Doug Williams then hits the Chaos Theory suplex, which is like a victory roll into a German suplex, and picks up the three-count in a decent match that was maybe a little bit too short for all the spots they wanted to cram in. Um, I really love this match. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was cracking. I liked the pace. And Eric Bischoff in his promo earlier was talking about how kind of like the exhibition was going to be the crown jewel or whatever of, of the company. And it, yeah, he kept it really in line with the expectations that were built from that. I, I really like this. I would have just liked to have seen this go to the pay-per-view and get 15 minutes. That was my only real beef with it, because I thought they did a lot of good stuff, but they probably didn't have long enough to tell a proper story. That's true, but um, still, this, in terms of in-ring action, was way more involved than anything we got on Raw. Oh, absolutely. 100%. I've got no qualms with the match. I just It was good enough to be given more. That was my only only issue at all. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but yeah, yeah like, like, this did kind of feel like a baby match. Yeah. Um, from there, we get Shannon Moore coming out, who takes out Doug Williams and motions for the title with the hands around the waist. And then Eric Bischoff comes out and announces Shannon Moore against Doug Williams at the pay-per-view Destination X, which is probably why I wanted this triple threat to get 15 minutes on that pay-per-view. So, yeah, Kazarian has been right royally screwed by this situation, hasn't he? He has indeed. He doesn't even get a second go at it. No. And Shadow Moore, has he... The face paint on his eyes, is that face paint or is it a tattoo? Because it looked really real. Um, I'm pretty sure it'd be... I'm sure it'd be face paint. I mean, he does do this, like, tattooist gimmick later on in his room, but... Yeah, it was um, an interesting look for Shadow Moore. It looked a lot different than I remember him. 
Mm. Did, Did you cop as well partway through this match? Today reveals that Dixie Carter has an announcement relating to Sting. Yes, he does. She does. He does, and she does. Yes. <laughs> Which we go backstage for next, and it's Jeremy Barash with Dixie, who says again, Steve is in a match, and he'll find out his opponent when everybody else does later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Steve, because it's a shoot. I know it's so crap. <laughs> we then go to our TNA version of the women's wrestling right now. And it's a triple threat tag team match for the vacant tag team knockouts championships. It'll be Taylor Wilde and Sarita up against Velvet Sky and Madison Rain, the beautiful people who are out with Lacey Von Erich, up against Angelina Love, formerly of the beautiful people, and Tara. Um, Taylor and Sarita. I don't know if they walk out to the ring with no music or if they just get introduced in the ring with no music. Like, I think none of the X Division guys got any music when they were coming out either. No, I don't think they did. They because they all came out with mics in hand, didn't they? Mm, yeah. So you know, it's a bit of a rush thing from a production standpoint. I'll say that. Um, so, did you know why these knockouts tag titles were vacant? I said something about not being defended in thirty days, but I don't know the story behind that. That was the kayfabe reason. In reality, what happened was Awesome Kong had got fired because she beat the piss out of Bubba the Love Sponge by make, um, after he made an inappropriate joke about Haiti getting flooded earlier on in the year. Wow. That's far more interesting than what they told us. <laughs> Oh, Bubba the Love Sponge. If anyone look of this show looks like they need to be beaten up, it's him later on. Yeah, so she's my absolute hero in that regard. Oh, absolutely. He comes across as such a douchebag. Mm. Oh, and the other thing about productions, um, they cut to the entrance ramp too early for when the beautiful people were coming out. Penzo was still introducing Wild and Sweet in the ring, and they cut to the ramp, and nobody was there. Yeah, I do remember that part, actually. It was a little bit botched wasn't it mm-hmm. when the match gets started Tara hits a bit of an alley-oop variation to start off with did you see that the sort of powerbomb into dropping them face first behind her mm. and then Sarita fires back with a stone cold stunner so, <laughs> interesting <laughs> opposite offense here early Velvet asks I keep going see this is where I got confused now right so I've gone to say Velvet Sky gets in but I've just finished watching the women's Survivor Series match which had Velvet McIntyre <laughs> this is really throwing oh. me <laughs> yeah so it's not Velvet McIntyre I can assure you it's Velvet Sky <laughs> uh, the beautiful people beat on Tara for a little while with a nice looking double Russian leg sweep and a double trip um, we then get uh, sorry we then get a drop kick by the beautiful people and Daphne sneaks in, nails Tara with her own belt, and the beautiful people pick up the one, two, three for the new knockout tag team championships. A bit of a rushed short match here. Um, not much going on. Yeah, that was my note as well. It did feel rushed, but um, I thought it kind of fit in the like wild nature of the rules of these three teams all in a match at once, and. I thought it was a shade better than Raw's women's match. There was some decent double teams here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely better than the Raw women's match, but that's not saying much. No. We then go backstage with Christy Hemi and the Pope, and this was popping me big time here. Um, 
the one line that I really liked was when he told Christy he'd like to be the emblem, uh, the, um, what was it? The, oh, what's the word he used? The, um, the, the on the end of a chain, <laughs> like, oh, I can't remember. What is it I'm thinking of here? Like, you know, when you've got a cross on a chain or something like that, the, um, yeah, like, not, I want to say emblem, but it's like emblet or, or emblet or something. Amulet. Amulet. That's, he said something like that. Anyway, he wants to be on the end of yeah. a chain because obviously it's hanging right right in a cleavage. Oh, of course. Um, that was a bit long-winded to get there. But the long and the short of it here is he's going to be facing Desmond Wolf yet again. But before that can happen, Desmond Wolf comes in and attacks him with a chain and uses a chain to beat on his ankle. So a little bit of a vicious backstage beat down there. There you go, Pope. You're on the end of the chain after all. Yep. Ah, <laughs> oh, foreshadowing. <laughs> we then see Sting walking backstage, and Taz asks Mike Tanay what he was doing at 4.20 for some more foreshadowing. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder why he'd be interested in that particular period of time. Hmm. Jeremy Borash is then with the beautiful people celebrating their big tag title win. Borash brings in some champagne, and they pour it all over Borash, so... That was a pretty fun little segment, actually. I didn't mind that. Velvet <laughs> Cat calling Lacey Pumpkin, Pumpkin which, which I thought was quite fun as well. Yeah, and oh, <laughs> when she says, am I a champion too? Of course you are. This <laughs> <laughs> is a bit like um, SNL used to do this sketch called Being Quirky with Zoe Deschanel. And it'd be Zoe, and she did invite some kind of friend on her show, and Michael Sarah would be in the background making cookies and stuff like, oh, I'm watching cookies, and like trying to get her attention, like, oh, isn't this great, we're all friends? Borash kind of felt like that in this segment. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was good, actually. Yeah, they don't have a glass for him. Oh, yes! It's, I think he tries to take one because they're drinking out the bottle anyway, and then they, that's when they just pour it all over him. <laughs> He's a good lad, Jeremy Barash. <laughs> when Impact came back on uh, UK TV recently, um, he was in one of the interview segments at the end, and I tweeted about how he slowly looked like he was transforming into Patton Oswald. <laughs> and he actually went and liked that tweet as well. I was like, oh, he, he's got a sense of humour. I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not able to commentary team there. Yeah. I don't mind JB. He's all right. <laughs> um, so our next match is Sting and his mystery opponent. And before anything is announced, we get a huge RVD chant by the crowd. And lo and behold, it's Sting against RVD. Yeah, to name make the point, point that, uh, of how Dixie, when she bought the company, she promised not to get involved with matchmaking. So... Yeah, so storyline, this is a really big deal. In actuality, this is two huge stars facing each other for the first time. And does it get the royal treatment? Do we get a, a match befitting of the status here? Well, RVD comes in from behind, not down the ramp, hits a springboard kick and a rolling thunder, the move that he's finished off numerous opponents with for the one, two, three. <laughs> What was this? Yeah, just <laughs> bollocks. And there's more to come. But I should mention as well, um, 
Taz at the start of this match was going on about how angry fans were seeing her interacting in the match. And then when he heard the cheer thing was getting when he was coming out, he was like backtracking really immediately. Like, oh, some people are angry. Oh, I guess nobody's angry. <laughs> but I just couldn't believe it. This was such a throwaway waste of a big money match. And the, the bollocks gets even deeper after the conclusion as well. Because RVD blindly celebrates with his back to Sting, which is a bad move considering he's just beat two big names down with a baseball bat earlier. So what does Sting do? He picks up the baseball bat and he smacks RVD in the knee with it. Um, he then continues to pound on him, including a shot to the throat, which looked pretty nasty. And um, I see the sign that you talked about earlier here, really awful wrestling. <laughs> Sting a couple of times walks up the ramp and then decides, no, I'm going to come back and beat him down some more. And it takes an absolute ice age for anyone to come out and try and stop this, you know, assault that would put a man behind bars in actuality. <laughs> um, it's a good beatdown, but unfortunately RVD's not doing the best sell job because he's been hit with about a dozen baseball bat shots and he's still getting up. Sting lays out the referees on the ramp with his baseball bat and then comes in for some more beatdown on RVD. Hulk Hogan comes out, but Bubba the Love Sponge comes out and holds him back. Um, some more bat shots by Sting. Security are holding off Hulk Hogan, and Sting gives Hogan one more dig with the bat on his way out. Um, it's really gone on a little bit long, but the crowd did stay with it, so I've got to give them that. Sting leaves, and we get a um, Hulk Hogan selling on the floor again. So a bit of a... I, I don't know what to think about this. What did you think? It's totally useless. Um... I thought Sting was far too lackadaisical about this, really. He's just like, oh, yeah. Oh, I think I'll give you another shot. Yeah, whatever. Like, saying everything took too long. It came across like... I think it was going for that sort of um, murder in a, in a film bad guy kind of thing where he's taking his time toying with you while he kills you. But in actuality, it's a wrestling show and someone should have been out after the first bat shot to try and break it up. But he was allowed to sort of take a couple of minutes pounding at him at will before anyone gave a shit. And then when one referee gets hit waving his hands with a bat, the other two shouldn't just then start waving their hands in the same manner. They come across as morons. Get security out there and try and get the bat off him would be my, you know, a much better idea. Mm. Yeah, yeah just nobody, nobody looks good coming out of this. No, it didn't do anything for anyone for my money. Um, we then get Kevin Nash coming out with Eric Young for a bit of a strange partnership here. They're apparently very good friends. Eric Young looks a lot different without his sanity outfit and his hair and his beard here. Um, looks a lot younger, no pun intended. Did you spot as well, just before Nash and Young came out, they accidentally cut to a shot of a Bischoff in a chair somewhere in the interview Yeah, I did see that. Like it, looked like, it actually looked like he was on the entrance, didn't it? Just sat in a rocking chair. It was weird. <laughs> yeah. You just sat like, like in an office chair or something, and to me, trying to point out to being, oh, look at Eric Bishop, he's so shocked at what Sting did. Yeah, so he's just chilling out on the entrance ramp. Yeah. Now, I don't know what that was all about. That was very odd. Nash comes out, and they call out Hall and Six Pack, I think they got, we're going by now, and they tell them that they're going to have a match at Destination X. They're going to lift the ban and let them in, and this match is for a contract. They eventually come through the crowd looking really out of sorts. They are obviously not in a good place in their lives right now. And Hall calls Nash the big sellout and uses the line, you've got to be ribbing me, which is, you know, okay. They um, 
want to get in because TNA is getting cool, they say now. And Bischoff comes on and says that if Puck and um, Hall win, they do get their contract. And if they lose, they have to go away for good. Hall and Nash shake hands. And then Puck rears back and slaps the fuck out of Eric Young. No handshake. That was a vicious slap, wasn't it? Really, really loud. That was incredible. Uh, you're saying about Hall and Waltman not necessarily being in the best shape. Nash's delivery had me a bit worried at times. Because, like, you know, you're saying, um, oh, yeah, they challenged into a match at Destination X. I don't know what you're on about because according to Nash, they challenged for a match at Destination X. Yeah. All three of them had obviously had a late night the night before. Did you cut for the little um, exchange they had when they shook hands? Like, Nash was like, oh, I guess I'll see you at the pay-per-view. And the Hall tells him, I'll be the one who looks like Elvis. Yeah. What? <laughs> were, were, were the Kings of Wrestling not around when you were watching TNA? No, no. It was Jarrett, it was Hall and Nash, and they dressed in, like, um, Las Vegas Elvis outfits. Okay, I didn't catch the reference. That's brilliant. Um, and yeah, so from there we have Bischoff comes out and he orders Nash and Hall leave and says that Eric Young, he, he actually tells Eric Young to slap Puck in his bitch head. Hmm. I don't know what that was all about. Um, but we do go to a, a match between Eric Young and Puck. Um, Eric Young hits a clothesline and a back elbow drop. Botches a clothesline to the outside before hitting a backdrop. Uh, Six-pack comes back with a spin kick before missing a Bronco Buster. And then Eric Young hits a humongous pile driver for the 1-2-3. Another short match, but one that at least puts over a young guy against an established name. Yeah, that was very, very effective. Like, say, there were a couple of miscues, but I enjoyed this. From there, we go to our next segment, which involves one of your favourites, and I thought you might want to do the honours and run through this one, because I think you've got a little bit more venom in the tank against this guy now. Oh, yes. So, okay. We see this um, massive Humvee arrives backstage, and a whole bunch of troops come out, and they come out to the ring, and they form a guard of honour for our Olympic hero, Kurt Angle, who's out to address Miss Anderson. And he puts over the sacrifices of the troops and well, everything they do for the country. Um, apparently, two weeks ago, Anderson spat on them. I don't know if this was literally he spat on a Marine or if he was spitting on Kurt's dog tags that he'd stolen. Um, but apparently, Kurt Angle has an epiphany. Winning a gold medal is nothing compared to what the troops go through. No, no shit! <laughs> I know you're winning with a broken neck, but yeah, come on, Kurt. <laughs> um, I can't read my notes either. Oh, yeah, so as a proud American, he, it's his duty to stand up for the troops when bitches like you degrade them. <laughs> back again with this rather toxic masculine language. Um, but... I will let that slide for a moment. Um, he'll kick Anderson's ass at Destination X. Then Mr. Anderson comes on the screen, asks him to stop grandstanding for these little high school dropouts. Ooh. And, yeah, that, that obviously sung, because while Anderson is looking into the camera, camera rambling on and on and on, Kurt rushes backstage and you see him clothesline the fuck out of Anderson. It was brilliant. I marked out so hard. <laughs> I love it. 
<laughs> the best, best way, way to, to shut Mr. Anderson, Anderson up. Close eye in his fucking face. Um, yeah, he brings Anderson to the ring, uh, but gets punched with his uh, with the dog tags that Anderson has stolen. But then the troops stop Anderson leaving the ring. Anderson then shit hands him out onto each side of the ring so that the troops can kind of like brawl with him and haul him back in, you know, like an old lumberjack match. Yeah. Um, somebody's wearing a Captain America shirt. I can't remember if it was Angle or Anderson. No. I think it was Angle. Yeah. Uh, someone had it was a bit of Captain America shield was on the shirt. Anyway, um, once he's tossed Anderson out to all three sides of the ring, we get break his angle chance and angle hits the angle slam, spits on Anderson, shreds on him and raises the American flag, and then the troops raise him up on his shoulders. On his shoulders. That was pretty cool. 10 on 10. <laughs> best, best segment of the night. I am all for Mr. Anderson being made to look like a massive fucking goof. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed this as well. I have to say, this was a part of the show where watching it the first time around, I actually fell asleep. Not because it was boring. It was about one in the morning and I had a big, big day at work. So I had to go back and rewatch it the next day. But I think your enthusiasm for it was more than mine. So that had to come out. <laughs> Brilliant. Yes. Love it. We then go backstage and it's Hulk Hogan speaking with Bubba the Love Sponge about how Hogan's got to do what he's got to do and Bubba's trying to talk him out of it, but to no avail. And Earl Hebner comes in, um, discusses... He comes in and he says... The, this is the exact verbiage. He says, I've come to ask for, ask a question. And Hulk Hogan's replies, Wait, what are you doing here? Well, Hulk, he's come to ask a fucking question. If you'd open your ears, <laughs> mate, you'd know. <laughs> Well, you know, Hogan's got no time to hear things because, oh my God, he's got so many problems with his company and running the company and blah, blah, blah. Oh my God, what is it with TNA authority things complaining about having to do their jobs? Bischoff has cut this promo twice already since we've been reviewing it. Anyway, as well. Like Bischoff was earlier, Hogan as well was talking about how I've got to turn this thing around, brother. Yep. Self-fulfilling prophecy here now. Mm-hmm. Bubba implores Hogan to give Earl a second chance and after accepting the bribe that we talked about on the last show, and Hulk says it would be an honour to share the ring with Earl, implying that he'll be the referee, but tells them both to fuck off for a bit so he can think. <laughs> I, I, I found it weird here. Yeah. Yeah. Bubba was like, oh, everyone should get a second chance, Hulk. Yeah, except maybe Austin Kong, who whipped your ass for being a fucking dickhead. <laughs> or Gorka. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that, this was all kinds of funny. Seeing um, Bubba the Love Sponge and Hulk Hogan in the same room, cutting promos after what we know has come later on, is mildly amusing to me as well. From there, we go backstage, and it's Jeff Jarrett, and he's talking about how he's being put into a handicap match with uh, Bobby Roode and James Storm, and he argues with Roode, who Roode basically says, "Not sorry," he argue, argues with Storm. Was it Storm or Roode? I think it was Storm. Storm, yeah. Um, yeah. He says said that they volunteered for the match, and Jeff Jarrett can't understand why because he gave them uh, their chance here in TNA. They brawl a little bit. They get the upper hand on Jarrett, but Foley pulls them off, and we go to a commercial finding out that Mick Foley will be the referee for the two-on-one handicap match, Beer Money against Jeff Jarrett. When we come to the ring, we get a little bit of a beatdown of Jeff Jarrett, who comes back with a quick fight back. Um, he eats a spine buster, though, and is... Sl- 
a slingshot into a DDT, pretty cool double team move. Uh, then it hit with the Eye of the Storm, which is basically a running spinning race's edge. He avoids the beer mist, however, and hits a low blow, followed by a clothesline, another low blow, before eating a double team powerbomb type move for a three count. Bit of a nothing match there. Um, the, the real highlight was Mick Foley at one point trying to give Jeff Jarrett the barbed wire baseball bat to no avail. Mm, yeah, and he runs everyone off post-match with the bat. Yeah, I suppose this is kind of a, a heel turn for beer money. This is another team, again, of stressing over not being on TV for weeks and weeks. Um, I think Jarrett probably got a little bit too much in that match, but it was kind of serviceable in a way. Yeah, it was okay. It was a very much a TV match. Definitely. When we go backstage again, Hulk Hogan um, has Brooke come in and she's crying, begging him not to um, not to go through with the match. And she says this brilliant line, which highlights her amazing acting skills. To everyone else, you're the Hulkster. To me, it's like you're my dad. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean it's like you should dad? <laughs> oh my god. Oh pet hate. I miss that. Working with, with teenagers every week, the word like is the biggest pet hate of mine. <laughs> Ruining sentences for years now. But uh yeah, just so you fucking idiot. It's like you're my dad. <laughs> Uh, we then come back for our main event, which is the same as our opening contest. Ric Flair and AJ Styles up against Hulk Hogan and Abyss, but this time it's no disqualification. And it's sponsored by Rater Center. Oh, I didn't catch that. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. When we um, begin the match, we have uh, Hulk Hogan backdrop to start with, and Ric Flair immediately takes a powder to the outside. He's sent into the guardrail on the outside and begins bleeding an absolute gusher. That was a bad cut on Ric Flair. And straight away. Yeah, I couldn't tell if we were supposed to bleed something before the barricade attack made Flair bleed or if he just bleeded too soon and too hard and it was supposed to be the barricade spot. Yeah, it was awful. Mm. They brawl on the outside for a bit and Taz comes up with another brilliant line of the night. He's bleeding like a stuffed pig. <laughs> oh, Taz, I think you might mean a stuck pig there, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hogan begins whipping Flair with his weight belt before Ric Flair fires back with a low blow. AJ comes in and starts to work over the leg of the Hulkster. They brawl on the outside again. Hulk begins bleeding again. Ric Flair is an absolute mess at this point. He's looking disgusting. Comes in and hits a snap mare. Goes up top and, as you can guess, is caught by Hogan and press slammed, allowing the Hulkster to go to the hot tag to Abyss. He comes in and fires away with clotheslines and avalanches on both the heels. Hits a huge choke slam on AJ Styles and a much smaller choke slam on Ric Flair, a la the chair shots the other way around. <laughs> um, and on commentary, the line that really piqued my interest, Hulk Hogan gave Abyss his Hall of Fame ring. Did, Did you not fight? Yeah, yeah um, I was meant to bring that up actually. Earlier on in the first match, you kind of see it as well. <coughs> what and the they fuck? Them, they were running down the Destination X card earlier on in the night, and it's in a Mrs. Mugshot. He's like punching with it. What? That's his WWE Hall of Fame ring, right? It is, yeah. And they want that on their promo graphics. 
this is what I was mentioning the other episode when I'm like, oh, TNA using WWE continuity, I see. Oh my God, talk about being small time. It's like when an indie promotion with the poster, former WWE star Val Venus, like, come on guys, <laughs> get your own identity. Um, AJ comes off the top with a phenomenal forearm for a two count and Hulk Hogan and Abyss immediately both begin to Hulk up together. Abyss hits a black hole slam on AJ Styles and picks up the one, two, three, pinning the world heavyweight champion on the first um head-to-head raw uh, raw and impact so another contender there for the dick move of the week jobbing out the champion on the first show that's focused so heavily on all the old guys although you know abyss does have a title match with aj coming up so this does help him out in that sense which i could live with if aj had got a decent amount of offense in either of the two matches but he's just made to look like you know a bit of a afterthought in comparison to the bigger names isn't he I agree. He he was kind of just another person in this match. He had a couple of spots here and there. But... Yeah. Um, then we get Desmond Wolf coming out with a chair. Miraculously, Pope runs out after him, despite having his ankle destroyed earlier in the night. AJ Styles. Yeah. Mm. Sorry, it's at this point where today's like, oh yeah, by the way, that match between Desmond Wolf and Pope was cancelled. <laughs> but he's okay to run. Yeah. Oh, man. AJ takes out his leg and puts him down, and this brings out Jeff Hardy for a huge pop. He lays out all four... uh, Sorry, he lays out all the heels, and then did you catch the biggest production gaff of the night? He's going up top for a swanton bomb, and the show cuts out. And he never made... uh, Yes, that's right. Yeah. (laughs) Booed. I literally booed when that happened. I was like, what the fuck? What happened? (laughs) There's a little, there's a little snafu before that. Um, when Abyss and Hogan won, they played Abyss music, and then about halfway through, it started, uh, it faded out and turned into American Made. Oh my god! Amazing. They just, they had the rights to that music. They, yeah, I mean, but they just weren't ready for live TV, were they? No, and there was a lot of instances of that tonight, like quick rush shots, wrong camera angles and things like that. Yeah, so that, I mean, without giving away too much, I think it makes it fairly obvious who's going to win the production value category here. Um, I've obviously gone with WWE, and I assume you've done the same. Yeah, Yeah, that'll be me, yeah. As a whole, this show had a lot of stuff going on. A lot of stuff revolved around Hulk Hogan, um, which, how productive that is, well, we'll have to wait and see. But I will say that the quality of this show was much more inconsistent, but I will say I enjoyed it much more than Raw. It was a much quicker watch. Raw probably took me about four sittings for an hour and a half episode of Raw. You know, no commercials on the network. TNA, I watched... I fell asleep during Kurt Angle and um, Ken Anderson's segment, but it was like one in the morning. The next day when I got home from work, I watched the rest straight through, which I would have done had I been home earlier the first night I started watching it. So it was an, a breeze to watch. It was I, I think I, I messaged you during just saying this is a mile a minute, which for mm. TV show with a lot of new characters or newish characters and a lot of people coming into the company for the first time, it's brilliant. I've really enjoyed it. I won't say this is 
a show that I would consider a highly memorable show, but it was a highly enjoyable one. Yeah, if this was up against, like, an actual classic episode of Raw that, you know, was actually any good, I'd, yeah, it wouldn't be as hearty a recommendation, but, uh, you know, in comparison to what it was up against, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. So I guess what's left to do now is to go and pick all our, our winner for the night and all our different categories. Production value has been decided in advance. WWE is getting the victory from both of us. But going through the rest of the categories here, who would you say showcased the better characters on the night? Mm, um, I'm going to go with a tie here because TNA was much was very sort of Hogan-centric, but I still like that there were X-Division guys and Angle and Anderson's issues were up there. And um, yeah, there was actually some character from their women's division as well, as opposed to the Ross. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, um, WWE had Batista, who was brilliant as well. So I couldn't pick between them, really. They both had their flaws and they both had their pluses. I think I'm going to lean towards TNA because, I mean, they both put most of their big names on the show, but TNA brought new big names in, and for me, that made it a little bit more exciting. Um, Numbers-wise, it was probably even, like you said, but I think, for me, TNA pick up the victory because they gave more... They they sort of over-delivered on their promise, so to speak. Um, With match quality, I think this is going to be a pretty easy one as well. I obviously went with TNA because they had a couple of matches I actually enjoyed, whereas Raw didn't. What did you think? TNA, absolutely. Just basically for that X-Division match, really. Um, Like, Young and Waltman was quite good, but I guess it was more of a segment of the match as well. Um, But, yeah, like I said, with Raw, just the Orton legacy match just felt like nothing. The Cena handicap gauntlet thing, just meh. There wasn't a match on Raw other than Evan Bourne and Regal, which went for about 30 seconds that I actually enjoyed. So this is a no-brainer for me. The main event and the opener, which is one of the same, was okay, but the X Division match was really good. And the women's match for the tag belts wasn't too bad, even though it was quick as well. Mm. Abyss definitely carried his load in that match. He had a good top tag, and you know, Flair and Hogan were about as embarrassing as I expected they'd be. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as for storylines, who did you go with there? Um, TNA felt like there was much more going on and slightly less, like I was saying, paid by numbers as Raw was. I actually, I went the other way. I went with Raw because I think their storylines, whilst they were very safe, they all made sense and were the continuity stayed up. I didn't understand some of the stuff TNA were trying to do. Um, mm. I just, I think getting out of one of your better matches and sending the injured wrestler to do a run-in for no reason, having your big heel turn but no one around to do anything about it, there was just little bits missing for TNA. I, I think... It was very close, but I, I went with Raw. Um, the last one, Crowd Heat. Who did you go with here? Uh, you know you're saying how an Arena Thousand should beat the Impact Zone. Yep. Otherwise, something's gone wrong. Yep. Well, I think something's gone wrong because I have to go for TAA here because, my God, they were just nuclear all night long. It was brilliant. 
they dragged the show up, you know, a notch above where it should have been on its own. And I agree completely. This is one of them instances where a tiny crowd has kicked the ass of a big crowd because they actually cared. Yeah, yeah and you know, like you're saying, the teenage crowd dragged it up. Compared to Raw, I thought the crowd kind of took away from the Triple H segment. I agree, yeah, 100%. It was just not, you know, they, they didn't play their part on Raw at all. No. So, for me, the count here reads, TNA have picked up six wins, WWE have picked up three, and we've got one tie. So, despite losing heavily in the ratings and not moving business, TNA has delivered the better show. It'd be interesting to see what they bring to the table next week because the way Raw seems fairly intriguing to me. Yeah, I'm actually really looking forward to getting on and seeing the next stop here. Um, I'm maybe not so much looking forward to four or five hours of WrestleMania, but on the way, I think this is going to be an interesting journey. It looks good. I wouldn't even mind to see why they go back. I mean, obviously ratings, but I wouldn't mind to see what they're putting out the last couple of shows coming in as well. I'm really intrigued by what's coming up. Mm, yeah, yeah, lots of stuff to look forward to. Absolutely. Now, that does it for today. We're going to be back pretty soon with it'll be roaring at i keep saying raw and nitro it'll be raw and impact again i think we've got a couple more stops before the pay-per-views does that sound right uh let me check the dates uh destination x is the 21st and the main is the 28th so i guess we'll have to go up to the 22nd shows yeah, so we've got a little bit coming up there, and then obviously we've got a couple of pay-per-views on the timeline as well. Um, what about yourself? Have you and Kyle got anything coming up in the near future? We should be recording something on Monday. I won't quite reveal what it is, but I will say it features possibly the match of this year. Okay, very cool. And uh, yeah, we're still on the lookout for questions for a potential Q&A episode or something like that. Oh, I'm going to have to send some in. I keep threatening to do this, but I'm going to have to do it very soon. Um, we've got a big week or so coming up. Myself, I've got Carl and I are trying desperately to schedule the February 96 pay-per-views in. And Richie and I are going back to 1987 to look at the final of the three-part um, little pay-per-view battle between Jim Crockett Promotions and Vince McMahon, Survivor Series 87, up against Starcade. So they're all coming up in the next week or two, um, editing and scheduling pending. So the gap will be now filled with a bit of a feast of shows. And I'm also, I've got two more things I want to throw out to everyone. First of all, um, I've just started a Instagram account for the podcast. Bit of a wrestling goofs and a way to put all my new my newfound wrestling figure collection to some good use so if you're into that kind of thing give me a follow on there and i won't bombard your twitter with it too much and secondly i want to put a new um a new segment on the show one that i can't figure out the right way to do it so i'm looking for a name and some ideas around it but essentially what i want to do is break up the show with just a very quick random memory of not something memorable but just something that myself or, or whoever's on with me comes up with just i want a random wrestling memory to be put in there so any ideas for that please get in touch with me go and leave us a five-star review and do the same of course for duncan and kyle over at then now whatever i'll be very much welcome yes thank you perfect well that'll do us for today so thank you all for listening and i will be back again with you very soon and so will we yeah cheers again lee To 
to society, baby. The police wanna relocate me. They run it with, but they can't fake me. They wanted to come up, but they ain't crazy. I ride one in the. Six tray Chevrolet rolling without no top. Got them hydraulics dumping and making it drop. California to Virginia, Timmy making it hot. Taking long rides in a G4 plane. X-Men to the stage, got them going insane. Yeah, got the world saying my name. I'm about to make a little change. I'ma keep it the same, you dig? X to the Z, baby. Run up on your hidden corners, phantom break. Come on, X be the life of the party. Don't be scared, girl. Reach out and touch somebody. in the Maybach Benz. You wanted to party, but I got biz. This ain't entertainment, I feed my kid. On a 405 in the carpool lane. Gotta hit some corners, I'm riding the cane. Wanna ride out to an island and tan your frame and just waste away a couple of days. Holler back at me. Look where I'm back. Make the crowd get loud like the sound of a L.A. on my baseball hat. Where they run up right up on you in that black on black. Gotta bounce like a mother when brothers got masked. War with each other. X team big, not ready to die yet. My militant mindset got you running for cover. So yo. Talk a little, pick your brain, wanna see you with something little, walk around the plane, yeah. I got a lot to gain, getting my label off the ground like David Blaine, so now, what you know about me, I'm a self-made man from poverty, yeah, now I own a lot of property, I pimp rides, lifestyles, and companies, so yo, now let me spit you the facts, I used to hustle the corner, but I ain't bringing you that, nah, I'm like swinging the back, run at your kneecaps for coming at your face like that, yeah. Baby girl touching my chain. Now let me tell you who I ain't. You can't run no games. I'm gangsta, baby, ain't nothing 